If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Mark chapter 10. And I want to start by just uh, sharing a a passage out of Mark chapter 10. It'll be on the screens too if you'd like to follow along. Starting in verse 13. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Um, season of Advent, uh, it's a season of expectation. I tell people it's like being nine months pregnant. We're on the edge of our seats for, for Christ's coming, for, for Christ's return. And in this season, in this season of teachings, we've kind of gone through a, a couple of different things. And the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday of this past December, uh, I gave you a, a, a challenge to go and find a hiding place. Uh, and part of that is because of the example of Jesus to go to lonely places is what it says. Jesus withdraws and disappears, and sometimes even his disciples are, don't know where to find him. And what you see is Jesus withdraws the lonely places to have a deep encounter with his father. And so I challenged you, man, I want you to find lonely places. I recommended a church in downtown Franklin whose doors are always open. Some of this came out of my own sabbatical experience. I spent four days in silence at a monastery in November, and uh, some of you are like, that's impossible. I did. Give me a break. And what you find in silence and solitude is like, it's a place of struggle for sure, but it is also a place of great encounter. An encounter is, is a little bit what Advent is all about. Waiting and expecting the encounter of Jesus. I love Psalms 131. It talks about us being calm and quiet in the arms of God. A child in God's arms isn't like thinking about, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? It's just a place of contentment. And that's why I love this passage from Mark. Um, I, I confess to you, most of the time when I teach on this passage from Mark, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. And, and that's kind of my adult brain just kind of moves straight towards, let's talk about the theology of this passage. All right, if you're going to receive the kingdom of God, you've got to be like a child. And let's talk about what that means. What that, you know, but really, like, what's important, I think, and maybe the most important part of this verse is the one that I have always skimmed over. Put that, put that last slide back up there, Merwin. It should be verse 16, I think. It says that Jesus took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Phenomenal. I think it's, a, it's slightly ironic today that we bring our kids and line them up to sit on somebody else's lap. But here, the children lined up to be with Jesus. Disciples are always in the way, messing things up, right? And Jesus is, is, is busy saving the world, right? He doesn't have time for these children. And yet Jesus stops, and, and I want, man, I wish there was more to this verse, don't you? 
but I, but I see him uh, lap crowded with children, gathering them in. Don't you see how important this is? Like, it, I think it sends such a powerful message to these children, if nothing else. Like in the moment the, that a child sits on the lap, arms wrapped around, you know, is he scruffing their hair? He already knows their names, right? In this moment, like what did these children learn about God? They learn how incredibly valuable they are. Do they learn that they're accepted? You know, what did the children do to deserve this, right? They get this special one-on-one -on -one time with the son of man. Like, what did they do? Like, these were, these were the really good children of the village, right? All of them were perfectly clean, and none of them wiped their snotty noses on him, right? Oh, what did they do to receive this gift? They just showed up, right? And you get the sense that Jesus was pleased to do this, right? It wasn't a burden. If it was a burden, Jesus would have just let the disciples, okay, yeah, you guys push off to the side. But Jesus wanted them with him. He wanted to love them. He wanted them to know that they were accepted. And they didn't do anything to deserve it. It's kind of weird for us because I, I think sometimes we try to live so that he will love us rather than living because he has already loved us. Has that ever been you? Still trying to earn it. Feel like we're worthy of it, deserve it. That there's none of that in this text. Do you see that? Like, I, this is really important. You need to see this. That in his embrace, they discover some really important stuff. They discover who they are, maybe. I think it's a moment uh, that communicates their, their value and acceptance, but also, like, it communicates to them their identity. Like, they discover who they are in these arms. They have access to the Son of God. All they have to do is enter it. It made me think of a painting. Uh, go ahead, Merwin, put that, put that painting. Any of you know this painting? The Prodigal Returned by Rembrandt. Uh, you can actually go see it. In fact, my parents may have seen this. Uh, it is in St. Petersburg, Russia, hanging uh, uh, in uh, the, what is the name of the, the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. Uh, some have said, I'm not an art critic, but some said, have said that this may be the greatest painting ever painted. I know uh, we don't have a high-definition video projector. I, I wish you could see a little bit better. Um, Henry Nouwen, the, the Dutch priest and writer, just awesome, awesome guy, he took a special trip to St. Petersburg just to sit in the presence of this painting, and he sat there for hours and he wrote a whole book about his experience just sitting in front of this painting. Do you know the scene? 
You know, Rembrandt is a, uh, he was a pretty interesting guy. Like um, some have said of, of Rembrandt that uh, um, he, he spent his whole life with wine, women, and song, and he didn't sing very well. Like he is a guy that identified with this scene, which is this, it's the scene of the prodigal son. Do you guys know this text? Do you know this passage? The younger son takes his birthright unjustly from his father and he goes and he squanders it on wine and women and other stuff and broke and destitute, craving the pig food, he returns to his father begging and hoping for a job because he's hungry. You guys know this scene? The father with open arms welcomes his son return and this is the moment that Rembrandt tries to catch. Uh, You can't see it, but over the father's shoulder, hidden in the shadows, is the mom. Standing off to your right is, guess who that is? The brother. That's right. Uh, There's two prodigal sons in this story, really. And then you see the prodigal. And just, I, I just want you to soak this in. The prodigal and the father. Do you see the contrast the father is, is dressed nicely and, and, and cleanly, yet, yet the, the prodigal is like his head has been shaved. He probably sold his hair to pay for food. He shows up and in, in one shoe is actually missing. The other one is torn, filthy, and dirty. And why has he returned? Remember the story where he comes back really because he's hungry. He says, maybe, you know, my father's servants, they eat better than I'm eating right now. Maybe if I could just go back and just get a job, maybe he'll just give me a job so that I can eat. And yet the power of the story is, it says, while the son is still a long way off, the father runs and embraces him. And there's so much in this scene that, that, that's worth our time and attention. Um, maybe the son does try to apologize. I'm not worthy to be called your, called your son. But, but there's an urgency in this scene from the father that, that comes because the father doesn't even seem to acknowledge it. Um, my dad's here, so I've got to be really careful about this. Like, if this was me... You know, I would, I would expect maybe some sort of cross-examination first, right? Like, just tell me where you've been and what you've done, how much it's going to cost me. You know, like, um, maybe you would expect a, a lecture at, at the very least, right? Deserving of that. Maybe a little bullying of, let's, putting your thumb on him. But I want you to know, like, the father doesn't even acknowledge any of that. He moves straight to, straight past penance, straight into party. You see that? The son out of hunger returns looking for a job and some food. But before he's even able to plead for mercy, he's accepted in his father's arm. You know why? Father doesn't care why the son is returned. He doesn't care what brought him back. He only cares 
that he's back. What was lost has been found. I love what Brennan Manning says about this scene. He says, we don't have to sift our hearts and analyze our intentions before returning home. Abba just wants us to show up. We don't have to tarry at the tavern until purity of heart arrives. We don't have to be shredded with sorrow or crushed with contrition. We don't have to be perfect or even very good before God will accept us. We don't have to wallow in guilt, shame, remorse, and self-condemnation. Even if we still nurse a secret nostalgia for the far country, Abba falls on our neck and kisses us. This sentiment comes uh, uh, stark, starkly clear to me in uh, Galatians chapter 4. In verses 4 through 7, it says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could, what's that word? Adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Remember the first word your kids spoke? I feel like I probably should know this. Do any of you remember the first words your kids spoke? Like I see some kids like checking their parents. The parents, oh yeah, I got it. Mm-hmm. Wrote it right down here in my... Uh, uh, all right, so what was the first word? First words, anybody? Who said mama? That's a lie. There's no way. No way. Because you know kids' first word is what? Yeah, that's right. You know it is. Maybe dada wasn't home until mama got out, but that's, you know it was dada. And like, and like that's, what's ex- that's the sentiment of this text right here. Abba, Abba. Still today, if you go to Israel, the first words a child speaks is not that, it's, it's Abba. Abba. And it says that we are prompted by the Spirit in our hearts because of our adoption to call out to God, Abba. This is a word of embrace, a word of abandon. This is not a father. It's a word of endearment and trust and acceptance and openness, but also a word of identity. I want to teach you a prayer. All right, everybody breathe in. Breathe in through your nose. Now breathe out through your mouth. Let's do it again. One more time. In through your nose, out through your mouth. All right, this time when you breathe in, I want you to say, I want you to say the word Abba, all right? Now when you breathe out, I want you to say, I belong to you. Let's do it again. Abba, I belong to you. 
I just taught you a prayer that will change your life. Encourage you to practice it daily um, as much as you can. Think about that. Like it's a prayer that perfectly coincides with your breath. And it reminds you of what? Acceptance, love, grace, mercy. But it also hopefully reminds you of exactly who you are. Right? Tell me a better prayer than what you just prayed. Tell me a prayer that God desires more than the prayer you just prayed. Right? Maybe Abba is a word that we need to learn. Um, some of you know uh, that, that my son uh, was adopted from Ethiopia. You saw him center stage. He was a little brown one. Um, so, uh, we, we brought our son Cannon home when, uh, from Ethiopia, when we got him home, I guess he was about eight months old. Uh, and I I don't know if you know this about uh, adopted kids, like, like sometimes even, even infants, like, like adopted kids, a lot of times they, they've just kind of learned how to, to, they, they've already kind of learned how to deal with life themselves, uh, they, they have to be a, at some level self-sufficient. Uh, a lot of times, like, like uh, uh, children in orphanages, uh, a lot of times they learn not to cry, which seems really crazy because that's what babies do because babies should cry. But an orphanage, of crying doesn't really help you. It doesn't really get you anything. It doesn't get you any more attention. So they just kind of learn uh, to self soothe. And when we got our son Cannon from Ethiopia, like he'd already learned, even at eight months, he'd already learned a lot of these techniques. He'd already learned kind of how to, to go through. I mean, he still needed us to feed him and care for him, but all the, but, but like emotionally, he had already kind of like closed himself in, if that makes sense. And so when we brought him home, we were we were anxious for him to, to bond with us and, and make that connection with us. And, and it, it had been a while. And, and I think I told Amy, I think I told my wife, I said, man, Amy, I just, you know, I'm ready for that day where he will just throw his arms up and say, Daddy. Because often when we would just put him to bed, we would tuck him in and we would put him to bed and we would kiss him and say, I love you. And there would be a whole lot of nothing. He would tolerate us and, and we would hold him and care for him and all this kind of stuff. But, but in a lot of ways, it was just kind of, kind of cold. Didn't know exactly how to respond. In some ways, just kind of numb. And, and, and for us, like as parents, I don't know if you know what that, that feels like. Like, man, we're just, I just want you, I just, man, could we just, come on. And so we were waiting and so anxious for this, like, for this moment. And I remember when it happened. Cannon had been having a rough week at, at a, at his preschool, he, he wasn't feeling very well. And uh, it, it was my job to pick him up. And man, you don't know how many times, like every day it was exactly the same thing. It was like, you know, the teacher's like, Cannon, your daddy's here. And Cannon's like, all right. <laughs> you know. But I remember the day 
man, can't, and like I said, he just wasn't feeling very well. And it was kind of like, he was like, come, come, kind of sort of feeling maybe a little sick. And, and they were just kind of at that end of the nap time space. So they was, he was feel, still feeling a little bit groggy. And I walked into the room expecting another ho-hum greeting. And the teacher went and picked him up from his little mat. And she kind of turned him around and he saw me. And for the first time, arms went out and he said, Daddy. Best day. And he wrapped his arms around me and he did the, like, the fingers in the back hug. You know that one? And at that moment, like, I, you know, was like, done. It's what a what some of Joshua's final words to the people, to his people, Joshua says, he tells them, he says, cling tightly to the Lord. Cling tightly. Like there's this embrace open and available. Like that's, that is a part of what this whole Christmas thing is about. You guys realize that? that out of God's great love, he sent his son to embrace the world. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, the great spiritual battle begins and never ends with the reclaiming of our chosenness. He says, long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time or our brief chronological existence, by the one who, but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting a love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. Show that picture one more time. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is exactly what we are. The face nuzzled next to him, intimate and close. I, I just want to remind you, the Father cares not how you come, only that you come. And I think this is so important for us in church life. Like, you know, we, we're, I, I believe in repentance, and I think that's a right thing and a good thing, but the Father accepts us anyway. You see that? So why delay? What's keeping you away? What's keeping you at arm's distance because God is standing here with open arms waiting to embrace you. 
And believe it or not, like he's not going to ask you any questions about your past. He doesn't stand with a great lesson for you. He doesn't stand there with critique or condemnation. Just having you back is all he desires. What if Christians put on that same attitude? of acceptance, of love, of identity. Then Christ would be born again in us. Do you see that? I'm going to invite you in just a moment to a time of communion and response. Man, I I hope this has stirred good things in you. Uh, I invite you again to return to the embrace of God to remember it, to cling to it. We have uh, the elements of communion are, are set at tables around this room. In just a minute, I'll pray and send you there. But for us, this is, this is a place of prayer, but also a place of, of response and, and communion. And so if there's ways that I can pray for you or serve you, maybe you're ready to come into God's embrace again, man. We'd, lo- we'd love to, to be a part of that. And so I'll just move to the back after I say this prayer. And it's, it's an ancient prayer. I just want to put it on the screen. I'll, I'll put it on the screen and, and I'll read it for us. It simply says, Abba, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my spirit. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and I give myself, surrender myself into your hands without reserve, with boundless confidence, for you are my Abba. Amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.